Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 114 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 7th of July 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 46. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, reading verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, we thank you again this morning, Lord, just for the glorious privilege that we have to be in your house. Lord, you deserve our worship. You deserve, Lord, our honor. And Lord, we just pray that as we gather here today that you'll be pleased and honored in everything that we do. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for this time that we can come together around it, Lord, and look to you, Lord, to speak to our hearts that which we cannot speak for ourselves or to ourselves. So, Father, touch thy servant this morning. Lord, you know the needs of each heart that is present. We pray that you would speak to those hearts, that you would meet those needs, that you would change lives as only you can. Lord, we will give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. For it's in Jesus Christ's name alone that we pray. Amen and amen. The glorious church of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at these thoughts now. This is the 44th sermon in looking at the church. And during that time, we've considered the defining of the New Testament church, the design of the New Testament church, and just a couple of weeks ago, the duty of the New Testament church. As we try to finish up this series on the church, we're going to begin looking today. And if you want part two, you'll have to be back this evening because I want to finish this before I go away and I need more than just two services to do it. But probably one of the most exciting subjects to each and every one of us as a Christian, we're looking at the destiny of the New Testament church. Now, I'm not going to go into great depth on a lot of these things because much of it we covered in much finer detail when we were looking at Jesus Christ and particularly His visible return to this earth. But really, it's a time that as we begin to pull together all these things that we have seen, the Lord's church is a glorious church, and it's one of our greatest privileges to be a part of His body And as we 
Keep in mind those things that we've seen about the church and those things that we've seen about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bring those things together as we remind ourselves. There aren't many things that preachers find easier and more exciting to preach on in the return of Christ for us. As we begin to look here today, I want to begin, first of all, that I believe the very next thing for the church on the calendar. We've seen the duties of what we are to do while we are still here on this earth and the great privilege that we have to do that and the high priority that it should have in our lives. We've seen how that it's the devil's job, and he does a good job at distracting us getting our time and our devotion and our thoughts and everything else on all the things in this world that one day are going to be nothing. We said as we talked about the duties, we have many responsibilities and duties in life, and those are important. But when they become more important than the duties that we have to our Lord, then we've got our priorities wrong. So we have a phenomenal privilege and responsibility while we remain here on earth. But where is it all going? Where's the destiny of the church? I believe that the next thing on the calendar for you individually and for the church as a whole is the rapture from the earth. The rapture from the earth. We've just read about that. You know, Jesus, as he was preparing to leave, he made a tremendous promise when he was meeting with his chosen disciples there just before that he was to go into the garden and to be arrested he made that wonderful promise in John chapter 14 when he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That great promise that he made over 2,000 years ago is precisely what that the Apostle Paul is writing about here in his letter to, to the church at Thessalonica that we've just read today is the fulfillment of that wonderful and glorious promise that Jesus made. He will keep his promise. He did go. He has prepared a place for us. And he is coming again. You see, as we think of the rapture, the first, the first part of that rapture is the return of the Lord. He says here in verse 16, for the Lord himself. Remember when they stood staring up into the sky as he ascended back up to the Father? What did the angel say? This same Jesus, this same Jesus is the one that's going to come back to you. We find that here in the Word of God, it says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. When he comes, it says he'll descend with a shout. He's going to descend with a shout. Now, I don't know what the Lord's going to shout. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But it says he's going to come with a shout. And I know that in John chapter 10, when Jesus was talking himself, and he gave that great discourse on the good shepherd and the sheep. One thing that he told us for sure, there is those sheep that are of his fold will know his voice. 
So it's the Lord himself that's going to descend and he's going to come with a shout and those that belong to him will know his voice. Whatever it is that he's going to shout when he comes, we'll recognize that voice, we'll know that voice. Not only with a shout, but let's see if he says, with the voice of the archangel. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about these archangels. We know that there's a hierarchy of angels in, in, in heaven. But the Bible does give us the name of one, and his name was Michael the archangel. Now, we don't know for sure that it's Michael that is going to be coming back when, uh, uh, and, and, and shout this voice when the Lord returns. But if we look back into Daniel chapter 12, and of course this writing is particularly about the great tribulation, which we'll be looking at later. But the prophet Daniel said this, he said, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time the people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn away to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now this was over 500 years before that Jesus Christ came the first time. The prophet Daniel talked about Michael being there. In the New Testament, he tells us here that there'll be the voice of the archangel. So we're going to hear the shout of the Lord. We're going to hear the voice of the archangel with whatever he said, and he says, with the trump of God. Preacher, do you believe that they're really going to blow a trumpet? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> you know, the word doesn't mean anything else there. It means trump. the trump of God is going to sound. And, of course, that's not something new either. If you look back in the book of Exodus, there's a very familiar gathering that took place there in, in Exodus chapter 19. And, of course, this is when God was through Moses calling the people out of the camp into his presence at Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 19, and in verse 16, the Word of God says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet, exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. You see, God used the trumpet in the Old Testament to call his people into his presence. 
So one day, there's going to be a shout from the Lord himself. There's going to be a voice from the archangel, probably Michael. And there's going to be a trumpet sound that nobody's going to miss. Now, we know that the church is a called-out assembly. This will be the calling out. Just as God called his, the nation of Israel out at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, this is when God will call out the true church of all time. All those who've truly had their names written in the Lamb's book of life, those that belong to him, those that are of his fold, those that will recognize his voice, and we'll be assembled together for the first time, the whole church, the true church. Now, when that happens, there's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen, and I mean they're going to happen very, very quickly indeed. Matter of fact, our scientists today, they get into all these micro degrees of things. Well, I'll tell you what, at the coming of our Lord, when he comes back at the rapture, there's going to be some, they've never measured micro, like the speed these things are going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen, he says here, let us read back here what he said, verses 13 to 16. He said, but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have already died, that have been put in the ground. He says, that you sorrow not, even as others have no hope. You know, those that, that go without the Lord Jesus Christ, and yes, they've got room to sorrow, but I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to sorrow over those that have already gone before you. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and what's the next thing that's going to happen? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see, there's going to be the return of the Lord. There's going to be the resurrection of the dead. All those that have gone before us, all those that are asleep in their graves, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to be brought to life out of those graves so quick that you won't even know what happened. But notice what he says in the next verse, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. With who? With them that just came out of the graves. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which remain are going to be caught up with them that no longer dead now. We're all live saints now. We all are alive. They've been resurrected to life. You see, as we're caught up together, Paul describes it very clearly. For both those that die in the Lord, if we leave this earth, and if those we love leave this earth before we do, we have no reason to sorrow. With all these New Testament saints now being alive, there's no dead saints now. <laughs> the dead in Christ have rose, and, I, and I've always said, you know, because of all these those, those microseconds that we can't even measure, the only reason that it, they're, they're first is because they got six feet further to go than we do, at least. Some of them are even further away than that. 
but they're going to be brought to life. And then together we're all alive and we're all going up together. We find in 1 Corinthians when he was writing to the church at Corinth, he gave us some great insight into this in chapter 15. Notice what he says beginning in verse 35. Just let these words sink into you this morning. He says, but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. That which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. And flesh, or all flesh, is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So another one of those micro times that we can't even begin to measure. The dead in Christ shall be raised. And then we that are left, we're going to be caught up to meet them in the air. The Bible says this is a natural thing. Those, those bodies that are dead, they'll come up and, yes, they died earthly, but they're going to be raised heavenly. How's that going to happen? Well, keep reading. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. They're dead. They're suddenly raised from the graves, and they're alive. We're all alive, and we're all caught up together in the air. And then here, we're not all going to be dead, but we shall all be changed. Those that just came up, and those that are still here. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, 
That trumpet sounded and all these things are happening, but this is happening at the last trump. It's all so quick. He says, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If that doesn't excite a Christian, then give up hope. Nothing will. Simple truth is, this is our promise. We're going to see the return of the Lord. We're going to see the resurrection of the dead. We're going to see the renovation of the living, those that were dead and those that remain, all of us being changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and all of that corruption being gone for all of eternity and we'll put on incorruption. You see, none of us can even imagine. No human being since Adam and Eve committed that first sin have ever known what it was like to live in an incorruptible body. Corruption is a part of our life. Sin is a part of our life. Oh, at that day, though, when that trump sounds, when our Lord returns, we will be changed. We will be changed into something that we can't even begin to imagine what it will be like. And then, what does he say there in the next verse? He says, then... We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. What's the next words? To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The return of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, the renovation of the living, and all that glorious reunion in the air. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll finally be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll finally be rid of these old corruptible bodies. We'll put on that incorrupted and we will be united forever, he says. We're going to meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever. In that state, in that incorruptible state, in that changed state, we'll be with him forever, united forever, first of all, and most of all with our Lord, but also with our loved ones. With our loved ones that knew Christ and have gone on before us, they're going to be there. You're going to be reunited with them, not just for a moment, you know, I'm looking forward to going back and seeing my mom for just a, just a few weeks, just a short time. But when we're reunited in the air, you know, I'm looking forward to what's it been some 26, 27 years ago since my dad went to glory. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. And I'll be reunited with him, but not just for a temporary visit, but for all of heaven. Both of my granddads and my grandmothers, each and every one of you sitting here this morning those that you've loved, those that were such a part of your life, those that maybe your hearts broke 
when you had to say goodbye to them in this world. But he says, don't sorrow. <laughs> don't sorrow. There's coming a day when our Lord is coming back for us. And he's going to come with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. All of us together are going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as we all meet in the air. And we meet with our Lord. And we're reunited forever with our Lord, with loved ones. And guess what? You're going to have to put up with me too. <laughs> with each other with each other. Down here, you know, that's one of, the, one of the great beauties of church is we come together and we have that fellowship, but it's really such short times, these hours here and hours there during the week, and we can get away from all those earthly things and we can focus on the Lord. And we can show our love and our encouragement one to another, and that's part of what coming together is all about as we've seen. But there. We'll be together forever. We'll be united for all of eternity. You see, folks, the destiny of the New Testament church is, first of all, the rapture. The rapture. But you know, when the Lord takes us up and when we meet Him in the air, guess what? We're not going to stay there. We're not just going to hang around the air the rest of our lives. Because Jesus didn't just promise to return for us but he was preparing a place for us in heaven to be with him. Yes, we'll be caught up, we'll be raptured from the earth, we'll be renovated and we'll be gloriously made new with those glorified, incorruptible bodies reunited with our Lord and each other. Next stop, heaven. Next stop, heaven. What's waiting on us when we get there? You see, we not only have the rapture from the earth, we're going to get to heaven, and we have the reward in heaven. Now, just being there is a pretty big reward. <laughs> just being there in those incorruptible bodies with no sin in the place that Jesus has prepared for us. The Bible says, and I believe that the first stop when we arrive in heaven is going to be what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian is going to be rewarded recompensed for all that he's done in this life, for all that he's done in this present church now, before we become part of that prospective church later, only those things done for him, for his glory, are going to bring us reward. All those other things that we've done in the flesh, and so often for the glory of the flesh, the Bible teaches us that they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. Just a couple of passages of Scripture in Romans chapter 14 and in verse 10. The Word of God is very, very specific when He says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why are you wasting your time looking at somebody else and figuring out what they've done wrong and what they could do to be better, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Let's leave the judging to him. When we get to heaven, we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Word of God says this. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I was meeting with someone earlier in the week, and we're talking about this fact, you know, that I don't know if you've ever been at that point in your life when you really, really considered death. If anything has ever happened when you thought you might be at that doorstep or not, if not for you, I'm sure that you've known others, many, that have left this world. You know, I've never in all of my life, I've never seen anybody leave this world wishing they'd done more in the flesh, wishing they'd done less for the Lord. You know, even when we think about our loved ones, you know, when, when, when I've had those moments when I wondered if my days on earth were numbered, I never wished that I'd done less for my Lord. I never wished I'd done less for my wife. I never wished I'd done less for my children. I sure wished I'd done more for the things that mattered. <laughs> I sure wish I'd done more to make them happy. I sure wish I'd done more to really give the Lord what He deserves. And I look at my life and I say, but you know, but you've wasted so much of that time on things that don't matter and they seem so important at the time. And yet, you come to realize they're really not. They're really not. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord. And when we get there, we're going to give an account for those things done, he says, both good and bad. Just a bit earlier in 1 Corinthians, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, notice what he says back in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He says there, beginning in verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verse 11. <coughs> Help if I'd get in the right book here. He says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. You see what I want to remind you this morning. Well, when that trumpet sounds, when the rapture takes place, when we're all changed and we all meet him in the air and we all arrive into the portals of heaven, there is going to be a judgment seat that's going to be there. But folks, you're not going to be judged for your salvation. That's not in question because you wouldn't be there in the first place. You've got life eternal. You've got that incorruptible body. What we're talking about here 
is that our loving, gracious, generous God. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in, in my thinking, I can't. There's, it's impossible for me to do enough to repay God for what he's done for me already. And yet he's so generous, he's so gracious that what he's saying is when we get to heaven, first thing he wants to do is thank you for everything that you've done for him while you were down here. Everything that you've done for him, for his glory, for his purpose, he wants to give you a reward for that. I don't deserve anything from God. I don't deserve what he's already given me, but he wants to reward you. Now, you know, you don't have to worry about suffering damnation because of what you didn't do. To me, I just think, wow, what a disappointing thing to stand before God even though I don't deserve anything from him. I don't, I don't deserve any kind of reward. He's already done more for me than I deserve. And yet to stand there and see others being given their reward and me to have to drop my head and wish so much that I'd done more. You see, God loves you. This is it's not something to be sad about. It should be something to, to excite us and to drive us on and to realize we can make each day count. We can make each moment count. Nobody else can do it for us. We can just go through life as a Christian, saved and on our way to heaven, going to be part of that great reunion in the sky, seeing our Lord face to face for the very first time, being without sin for the very first time, being taken into heaven and that place is prepared for you. I mean, it's exciting beyond imagination. But while we're still here, we still have an opportunity to do something for him, the one that has done so much for us. And no, none of us deserve anything more. We don't deserve what we've got. We don't deserve anything more, but he's going to give it to us. You see, the destiny, the destiny of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is, first of all, the rapture from this earth and then the reward in heaven. And we're going to look at some other things this evening. If you're not here, I'm sorry. I'm going to enjoy telling you about them, amen? But I hope you can be here. And we'll be looking again next week. I tell you what, folks, we've got a phenomenal destiny ahead of us. We've got, we've got such ahead of us that we ought to be so excited that we can't contain it. The world ought to be able to see it in it and know it in us. And yet, we just get so downtrodden. You know what? You know why I love telling you about these things? Because I love you so much. I look forward. And you know, there's another bright reward that I just thought of. You'll never have to listen to me preach again. Amen. <laughs> You'll never have to listen to one of my sermons again. But there won't be any need for me preaching to you. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord himself. Father, Lord, it does just thrill our hearts. Lord, we've been looking at over a year the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we consider this and we've tried to define it from Scripture, Lord, as we have 
looked at the design of that church and what a true New Testament church is. And Lord, try to, somehow within ourselves, strive to be that kind of a church, to be a true church here on this earth. Lord, we looked at the duty of the church. And Lord, it's exciting to look at the destiny of what you've got in store for us. Now, Lord, I pray. I know it's not been, though we have certainly read that, Lord, those that, the only ones that are going to have this great promise fulfilled that the Lord left for us are those we've already seen whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I pray earnestly that for each one here this morning, Lord, I pray, I don't care what they came here for. I don't care what they've thought. I don't care what kind of a life they've lived. I don't care what true assurance or false assurance that they've had in the past. Oh, I pray if their name's not truly written in the Lamb's book of life, oh, that you would show them this day, help them to know, and help them to know that, Lord, there's not another day to be wasted. Today is the day of salvation. I pray that you'd help them to have that certainty today to know that they do have hope for the future because their hope is in Jesus Christ. Help them not to be somehow, Lord, just coasting along in this life with false hopes and all the false things. Father, we also pray for each Christian here this morning. Oh, help us be reminded of the glorious day when the Lord shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look forward to that glorious day to be all that we can. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 